0: Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 522. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I'm the ghost of Lorraine Sing. How long can we make Halloween a thing? The whole know. month.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty much been all month long, which has been... Great. I've taken a pause in my Halloween movie watching recently because I've been playing something that we're going to be talking about a little bit. But as the time of recording, we have the final two Michael Myers movies to watch this week. And I'm very excited because I hear great things.
1: I'm more or less on the same track as you. Oh, I did watch one cut of the dead, which was recommended to us by Phil Noble Jr. of Fangoria. It was so good. I definitely recommend it. It was so fun.
0: But we do have a whole big episode. Yeah, Who's, yeah, yeah. What do we what do we got today?
1: Well, first and foremost, Ryan, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or just like whatever we're into, which is why you just listen to us talk about Halloween. Yes, Halloween. Because it is Halloween week. Finally, we are doing it up big. We have a very spoopy treat for you all. We're going to be reading some scary stories with actor Nick Walker from B-Way, from Ain't Too Proud to Beg and formerly of Hamilton, friend of our pal James M. Eigelhart. Plus, we're going to call up some other folks on this episode, get into the Halloweeny mood. So let's do it. Let's go trick-or-treating.
0: Yeah, the twin phone's going to be in heavy rotation this episode, which is very good. One last Halloween tidbit I wanted to share with everyone. Catherine Grace, she is goofy for Halloween, but whenever she sees any Halloween decorations, she calls it just blanket Halloween. Oh, that's a Halloween. Oh, that's a Halloween. The greatest thing in the world. It's really good. We also, I saw that James was in New York Times over the weekend.
1: Yeah. Always exciting to see his name. He was quoted in an article in the New York Times talking about Hamilton and some of the changes they've made to the show to bring it up to the Times to be a little more culturally appropriate. Very proud of him and all his work. We love our James M. Eigelhart. He is just the best.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's the best. You know what else is the best? marvel's guardians of the galaxy happy marvel's guardians of the galaxy release week it is now playable came out this week on ps4 ps5 xbox one xbox series x and spc and nintendo switch the cloud version and holy moly this is the game that I've been playing that's taken over a lot of my whatever free time I've had, really. It's so good. It's some of my favorite Marvel storytelling of recent memory of any medium, whether you're talking about games, comics, movie, film, TV, whatever. The writing, we've had Mary DeMarle from the IDOS Montreal team, who's like the head writer mm-hmm. and leads the writing team for the game. She's been on the show a couple times. She crushed it. Her and her team have done such an amazing job.
1: The amount of detail in this game I mean the dialogue and the story are all really really fun but just the amount of work that went into every single aspect of this game is crazy. Like I can't get over all of the sort of flavor text that you can experience with the visor on. All of those little details plus the dialogue and story are so fun. I mean it's just Really, really impressive and like cute and funny. And also like I am not as proficient a gamer as you are. I definitely play things on the slower side. And I love that it's a game that I can enjoy slowly. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not getting an anxiety attack trying to do it. I'm just like I can play this like a fun cozy game. You can also play it really fast and adventure based, you know, and like really run through the game but you can also just sort of like explore the world and hang out in it which is so fun to me
0: and when you do like you discover more Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cool stuff to see that is totally if you don't search it out you can miss it in your playthrough which is a testament to them to putting in all that effort one of my favorite things is when you're like going around with the rest of the guardians and you're just like you as star lord is like oh i found this corridor over here which is clearly not the way to go but Mm -hmm. maybe there's something over here to find someone on the like. Peter, where are you going? That's not really like that. There's like new banter, and there's a lot of personality in the game, and like the characters change over the course of the game. There's like an evolution to their relationships, to their feelings and their thoughts to each other, to the world around them. And these are not Hollywood actors from like the MCU. These are not even the actors from the animated stuff. These are actors that the team cast for this mm-hmm. game specifically. And they're so good. The actor who plays Drax oh, has an arc in here. He's so great. He's so good, but there's a whole scene where he's like exceptionally emotional. And the work that he does and has done with Drax's face is amazing. It reminds me of some of my favorite moments of God of War and of Marvel Spider-Man. It is up there with some of my favorite narrative storytelling. This is my favorite kind of game. It's just like focused, story-driven, Single player, Elizabeth, my wife, has abandoned all of her other like things, and so she just watches me play Aww. because she enjoys the movie and the story and the characters so much, which is a huge testament to the game. It is really great, the reviews have been really solid.
1: Well, and I want to go back to something you just said you know, mm. this is such a different medium in some ways, it's almost like being part. Of a film because there is all this motion capture. So they're physically embodying the characters. They're vocally embodying the characters. And plus, you know, it's sort of like infinitely doing every route of that character. It's like the most epic choose your own adventure style recording, like I really do give it to actors who do video game work because it's really mm. impressive the amount that you go through and you have to do it all in a bow cap suit, which is also why I want to shout out Cosmo the space dog. Yes, There is the cutest video in the world. It's on Dogs social accounts right now. The dog who plays Cosmo is a real dog named Diego. And Diego is a little sweet baby, golden retriever type dog. So cute. He runs around in a little mocap outfit. Oh, my gosh. It's pure joy.
0: And in the game, Cosmo has puppies. Yeah. And there's a scene where one of the puppies climbs on Peter Quill's lap. And he's just like petting it while having a conversation. And it's just so pure. There's the llama named Cammie who is so funny and like makes all these great noises. Lorraine, I don't know. Did you find Throg
1: in the game? No, but you're Mm -hmm. further ahead than I am.
0: There's Throg stuff in the game. There's like so much stuff tying to the greater Marvel universe. Dig deep. Read all the things you can read when you play the game because it's full of cool stuff and little details. Man, it's just been so, so fun. And the music in the game is exceptional. There's a great, great soundtrack. Tons of 80s music. And our pals at Mondo are releasing the game soundtrack on vinyl. Came out for order this week. It's two really cool colored vinyl discs. One is actually the album by the fictional band that they created for the game, which is called Star Lord, which those songs rule. I love those. <laughs> They're really good. They're actually made and composed by people who work on the game who are really talented folks. And then, disc two of the soundtrack is the score by Richard Jacques who is like a BAFTA, and Ivor Novello-nominated composer. So it's really good. And the actual package for the soundtrack is, of course, by Mondo. So it's got beautiful artwork by Cesar Moreno, who has done a ton of really great work for Marvel MCU posters and much, much more. So look, Lorraine mentioned at the top of the show, it's an official Marvel show, but we talk about the things that we're excited about. I love this game so much. I've been thinking about it. It's stuck in my brain. I really, really love it. I hope everybody gets to play it.
1: Yeah, you can pick up the game now on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, PC and Nintendo Switch Cloud version. And stay tuned to This Week in Marvel next week because we might have some special guests on the show talking about the game. I don't know. Stick around for Mm -hmm. next week.
0: Speaking of next week, something else is happening next week, Lorraine?
1: A little film called Marvel Studios Eternals. I'm (laughs) so excited for folks to finally get to watch this. Get your tickets now. Go get there on opening night. I'm so excited for folks to see this epic movie on the epic big screen in a theater. It's going to be so beautiful. Shout out to Steph Ceretti, the VFX supervisor, who's done some really beautiful work in this film, as well as everybody who's worked on it. I can't wait for everyone to check it out. Of course, you can see Marvel Studios Eternals only in theaters November 5th. It's so soon.
0: So soon. I'm excited to see it on a big screen and experience it with a crowd. So if you're at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers on November 4th on Thursday for that, I think it's a 6 p.m. showing. I'll see you there. There you
1: go. Oh, also, this is very cool. This week, Marvel Studios Eternals AR Story Experience was released. It's an app you can download and it takes you inside the film, guided by Sprite, the Eternal. And you can go on this epic augmented reality adventure through time and space to discover sort of this truth about humanity. It's an immersive story experience, and it's all AR, so it's like it's really happening to you in your space, and it's like a little mini prequel to the film. And many of the folks who worked on the film worked on the creation of this, including Nate Moore, the producer, and Liam McHugh, who plays Sprite. Their composer, writer, Steph Soretti, who I shouted out before, is working on it. It's really great. You can check out the trailer over on .com or the Marvel YouTube channel, but just get the app. It's free for iPhone and iPad now, so go check it out.
0: And like you said, Lorraine, it's a really cool little mini prequel for the film, so Check that out before you head to the theater. All right. Let's get back to the spoopy side of things for this Halloween episode because we have a new Spine-Tingling Spider-Man series. It's literally called Spine-Tingling Spider-Man. I feel like
1: there's a pronunciation you're not doing right. Like It should be like Spine-Tingling Spider-Man.
0: Spine-Tingling Spider-Man. There
1: we go. That would that would make Nick Lo happy.
0: Yes. We always want to make Nick Lo happy. He's the editor on this project, and it is an infinity. Comic, So it's one of those cool new experiences you can only check out in Marvel Unlimited, and it's a vertical comic book story It's going to be told across eight issues, releasing every other week starting this Tuesday. So every other Tuesday starting now, you can check out a new issue of Spine-Tingling Spider-Man, and it's written by our Eisner Award-winning comic book writer friend Saladin Ahmed, who's been working on Miles Morales and Magnificent Ms. Marvel, with art by one of my Favorites. Also one of Nick Lowe's favorites, Juan Ferreira, who did the Spider-Man Noir story. Has done some really cool stuff in King and Black. He did a bunch of really, really great things. And it's edited by a long time this week in Marvel friend who's been on the show many, many times, Nick Lowe. Lorraine, what do you think? Should we call up Nick?
1: Oh, yeah. Let me ring him up here on the twin phone because he has something special about Spine tingling Spider-Man to talk about. All right. Beep boop boop beep, boop 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 ring ring ring. Nick Lowe's phone. Ring 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 ring. Spidey office. Ring ring ring.
2: Hello? What where did this phone come from? What's
1: even happening? We've secretly implanted them in people's homes across the world. Hi Nick, it's Lorraine and Ryan. <laughs>
2: That's not creepy at all. Thank you. So good to talk to you guys. Ryan Lorraine is such a pleasure.
0: The pleasure is all ours because we are super excited. The new Spine-Tingling Spider-Man. Shivers. Can you tell us quickly, what is Spine-Tingling Spider-Man?
2: It is an Infinity comic, which are the vertical scrolling comics you can only find on Marvel Unlimited. They are so cool. But this Spine-Tingling Spider-Man is an eight-part Spider-Man Infinity comic that is terrifying.
1: You and Saladin Ahmed wrote a song that is integral to this first issue called Close, Close Your Eyes. How did
2: that come about? Well, it's so fun. I mean, Saladin is one of my favorite writers to work with. He just wrote the first script and it had these lyrics in it. And I don't think he thought in a million years, anyone, like maybe a fan might turn to music. But as soon as I read it and read the script, I loved it. And it started spinning around in my head. And I was like, I've got to turn this into a song. And you know, it's so key for those of you who haven't read it yet there's a song that is stuck in Peter's head. Spoiler alert, he's not the only one. There are people all over New York City who are getting this song in their head and it ties to dreams and they can't sleep. And the lyrics were so creepy and so chilling and as soon as I read them, like a tune popped up in my head, you know, close, close your eyes, go, go to sleep. And I heard it. And I freaked my wife out. I went down at 11 o'clock at night. I started like playing with these creepy piano sounds. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And over a couple nights recorded this song. It ended up freaking me out as I was recording it and listening back to it. And it just took on a life of its own.
1: All right. Enough talking about it. Let's hear a little bit of Close, Close Your Eyes.
2: Close. <laughs> Wunderbar. If we weren't all virtual at this point, I would ask one of you guys to hold me after listening to that again. I just like, you know, just sh- shivering and terrified.
1: Well, speaking of shivering and terrified, what should we be looking forward to in the coming seven parts of this series? What can you tease oh. for us?
2: Every two weeks, an issue of Spine Tingling comes out. And every two weeks, there's going to be something to give you the shiveries. Not only does Spidey have to get to the bottom of this mystery but he's going to run into a classic Spider-Man villain. The big question will be whether this classic Spider-Man villain is behind it or if they are just another victim of this. And, it, and you know, once you meet this, this villain who's been trying to slay Spider-Man for a long time, if there's something that scares even them, you know you are in trouble. In the song lyrics, Who is the man with the knife who cuts down the sheep? And... Who will be his victims? He's going to have, like, you know, if you, if you listen to the whole song, so there's there's a couple versions. There's one that we did just for trailer, and then there's one I did, extended cut, that you can find on Marvel.com. If you just search spine tangling Spider-Man theme song, you'll, it'll come up in your search, and you can listen to it. And the lyrics that Saladin wrote, because the lyrics in the first comic are just the first couple little verses, the first few couplets. And then each chapter we get a few more lyrics along the way, and there's a big hint of who is another victim of the Sleep Stealer if you listen to the whole thing. But I do have to warn you if you listen to the whole thing. Not only are, are there some real creepy bits and pieces at the end of that song, but uh, you might fall a victim to the Sleep Stealer yourself.
1: Bump, bump, bump. Nick, thank you so much for speaking with us.
2: Oh, my pleasure. It is always a pleasure. I hope you all like Spine-Tangling Spider-Man. Click. Hang up. <laughs>
1: That's the sound of a phone hanging up.
2: I don't think you've ever seen a real phone
1: or heard one.
0: But thank you very much, Nick. Let's move on and talk about some more Spider Man with Savage Spider Man.
1: It was just announced on Wednesday, written by Joe Kelly with art by Gerardo Sandoval. It's going to spin out of Nonstop Spider Man in February of 2022.
0: Nonstop Spider Man was a super cool story where. The idea was to have Spidey just like going, going, going. He fought a lot of villains. His internal monologue was really fun in this series. Joe Kelly has been, Joe Kelly is Joe Kelly. He wrote incredible runs on tons of comics, X-Men, Spider-Man, Deadpool, and so much more. And had a lot of fun with that series, a lot of wonderful Chris Bishalo artwork. So this is coming out of what happened at the end of that series. And Gerardo, he does really cool monster stuff. Incredibly, incredibly well.
1: Also, this cover has me super pumped because it's like half traditional Spidey and half creepy monstery Spidey.
0: Would you say a half savage Spider-Man?
1: I would probably just say creepy monster, but <laughs> well, they're going with savage okay. as the oh, title, right, fine, so I think right. that's
0: what they want. It's going to be big, fun, weird stuff, and that's coming out in February 2022.
1: Yeah. We also got the announcement of Excellent number 1 by Peter Milligan with art and cover by Michael Allred and Laura Allred, just one of the greatest teams of all time. And this should make you feel ecstatic because the ecstatic creative team is returning for Excellent.
0: Very well done, Lorraine. Yeah, this is super exciting. We recently did a reading club on Marvel's Pollist about Ecstatics and if anybody out there has not read The Ecstatics run, which was started in the X-Force comics of the early 2000s. It's that creative team getting to go back and tell more stories with these characters and new characters. And it's, I'm just ecstatic.
1: I kind of love the underdog team that's sort of like looked at as has-beens. I think it's going to be really fun. And also like the all-reds for everything always. And teamed with Peter Milligan, just like icons only.
0: And dupe. Don't forget, and dupe a dollop of dupe, and it makes it even better.
1: I love dupe. Dupe for president.
0: Dupe for president, yeah.
1: Also announced Ghost Rider number one by Wolvie Wrighty, Benjamin Percy, the man most similar to Wolverine in his actual life. Benjamin Percy, uh, as well as artist Corey Smith. This sounds like a really interesting story. Johnny Blaze is back as Ghostwriter. He has a perfect life, wife and kids, a steady job, trying to be a normal dude, but, you know, like haunted by uh, bloody visions of the past and stuff.
0: It's a really interesting take from what we hear. Like, you know, this dude with an idyllic life and something's gnawing at him. Something's wrong. Something is below the surface i think benjamin percy can do horror and he can do weird and he can do fun and violent and crazy scary so that's great and Corey smith this might be the big breakout book for Corey, who's been doing killer work for quite a while for us i'm super jazzed for this and 2022 is i believe the 50th anniversary for ghost rider so it's going to be a year of vengeance
1: yeah big 50th anniversary 2022 Oh, speaking of things that are here, here, here. Women of Marvel, the podcast has returned at lunch this week. Episode one is now available wherever you get your podcasts. This season's going to be eight episodes. It comes out every week on Thursday, so the day before this one. And in episode one, Angelique Roche, Ellie Pyle, and Judy Stevens welcome the new assistant editors to the Marvel family and chat with two really cool women who are basically professional fans, cosplayer Stella Chu and TikToker officially Divinity. They talk about fandom and how it's changed through the decades and especially in the last couple of years during these unprecedented times. So keep up with the whole season. Listen to the episodes. There's so much more from witches to fanfic to Star Wars. Just lots of good stuff. Shout out to our Women of Marvel friends. They're doing great work over there, so definitely go check them out and support them.
0: Yeah, and Judy just had a birthday, so happy birthday, Judy! Yes, She's happy 72 belated. years old and uh, still <laughs> being amazing at her cosplay. Oh she God. also posted a great cosplay picture of her as Captain Marvel by uh, Pal Patlaka. She posted that on her Instagram, and it looked really great. We still have more podcasty stuff to talk about. Marvel's Wastelanders, Hawkeye has episode five out this week. It is called Leap of Faith. It's now available only on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. In this episode, Kate and Bobby join forces to bring Ash back from the circus. And after a visit with Raven, Ash catches Junior in a lie. So let's just uh, give you all a little clip from this episode.
3: It's just over here, Ash. This tent here is the one I was telling you about.
2: This is who you want me to meet, Junior? The tattoo lady, really? You're going to like
3: her. Come on, let's go inside.
2: She's not even here.
4: She hangs out in the back when no one's in here, which is kind of a lot. She doesn't always play nice. Hey, Raven, come out and say hi. I
3: want to introduce you to someone.
2: Junior, you came to visit.
3: It's quiet out there.
2: Ah, and you brought a friend. Hey, I'm Ash. Ah, well, hello there, Ash. You're Clint's daughter, yes?
4: Whatever. Ha! <laughs>
2: Yes, you're Clint's daughter. (laughs) The Avengers,
1: Cap, Tony, Wanda, they all saved me from a dark place, from going down a dark road to somewhere I could never find my way out
4: of. Mm -hmm. Without them, I don't know what I would have been, where I would have wound up, and I never want to find out.
1: I love this podcast. I finally got to sit down and really catch up on all of the episodes. It is perfect for this time of year. Also, I feel like it's giving me fall vibes, even though fall vibes are not necessarily a stated component of it really enjoyable listen definitely check it out you can hear it first exclusively on Sirius XM or by subscribing to Apple Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and coming soon everywhere you can visit SiriusXM.com slash Wastelanders for more info and all that jazz but definitely go check it out and listen to it it is just a really cool story with I don't know lots of lots of people doing things I don't want to spoil anything <laughs>
0: A cool story with lots of people doing things. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, All right. We have more podcasty stuff to plug. We've got Marvel's Pull List, which is one of my shows, out this week. I wanted to plug it because it's our last of our Halloween month of episodes. And we do a cool reading club with upcoming Marauders writer Steve Orlando talking about the 90s Green Goblin comics, which I had never read before we did this episode. So it was really fun. And he and I, if you listen to the episode, you can hear us like slowly becoming best friends like in Step Brothers. how how many things that we have in common. And it's really, really funny. Plus, Tucker and I get to talk about Inferno number two this week. And Mystique, gonna burn it down with destiny.
1: I love how much you just want her to destroy the world. It's truly inspirational.
0: Look, the things we do for love, I get it. I get it. Anyway, also, one more plug. Last year, episode number 457 of This Week in Marvel from July 31st, 2020, we had on WWE wrestler Xavier Woods. He's a friend of both myself and James Monroe Igelhart. We got to chat with him and talk to him about a whole bunch of stuff. And in that episode, he talked about his big goal for his career to become WWE King of the Ring. When you become King of the Ring, Lorraine, you get a cape. You get a crown, you get a scepter, you get to lord over everyone else because you have won a whole series of matches and you have been crowned king of the ring. You are true royalty. I wanted to pull this clip because I think it's really cool. And here's a little clip of James and I talking with Xavier Woods about becoming king of the ring. I am vying for the king of the ring. It's the only thing left that I
4: want, that I need. I need it like air to breathe. I need it like water to survive. I need it like food, like sustenance in my belly because I am not hungry. I am starving and I will never be satiated, but I want the crown for a little temporary rest because my neck has been getting bigger while I've been (laughs) out and heavy is the head that wears the crown.
2: Hail to the king that 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 all hail the king all hail king austin
0: creed so that was over a year ago well congratulations king xavier because he did it it was really cool he posted a bunch of emotional videos of like this is the thing that he's wanted and so we're very happy and very proud of our friend i know james is very happy for him i'm very happy for him and we wanted to share this clip and this joy around great people doing great things
1: Yeah, the best. He's so nice, too. Just what a lovely human being. But moving on, we've got even more stuff to talk about Hasbro PulseCon. Ryan, get us into this recap. What happened at Hasbro PulseCon this time around?
0: Yeah, so Hasbro PulseCon was two days. It was streamed on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, and they covered pretty much everything that they do. So Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and of course, they ended the whole thing with Marvel Legends and all kinds of great Marvel stuff. So they had a friend of the show, Jesse Falcon, on. They had some of our other friends, Dwight Stahl and, and Ryan Ting and Dan Yoon on, and they got to talk about some really cool stuff. They got to reveal a whole bunch of stuff. So they revealed Captain America 2-pack of Steve Rogers' Captain America from Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame, as well as Sam Wilson from Marvel Studios' The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Those are coming in spring. They had a Winter Soldier figure coming in spring. And next year, 2022, is actually the 20th anniversary of the original Marvel Legends wave, which is wild to think about Mm -hmm. so they revealed some figures inspired by the original wave sort of updated for modern times captain america and iron man those are coming spring they showed off a bunch of retro three and three quarter inch figures there's a two-pack of wolverine and phoenix which i bet you did
1: yeah yeah i love it
0: yeah that's going to be hasbro pulse exclusive coming next spring there are a couple other retro figures falcon mr fantastic venom those are great but maybe my favorites were the 90s X-Men animated series figures they had for Wolverine and Jubilee. These are going to be available on Hasbro Pulse and Shop Disney. They're like painted and colored from their animation looks from the 90s animated series. But the packaging is inspired by the animated series original VHS box covers. It's so cool. It's so good. And did you notice that the Wolverine figure, Lorraine, comes with a tiny framed photo (gasps) of Scott and Gene and you can actually have him like Doing the 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 pose
1: on the bed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking sadly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it was really cool because they brought on Eric and Julia LeWald from the animated series and from the great books about the animated series to talk about X Men. It's it's great.
1: We had them on the show and they were phenomenal.
0: They were phenomenal. Yeah, you can go back and listen to them here on this week of Marvel a couple months back. There were Scarlet Witch and Vision figures, sort of inspired by West Coast Avengers comic styles. They revealed a null figure from king and black and they had Donnie Cates on the stream to do it and it was really cute because like they showed Donnie the figure the render for the it seemed like the first time he was seeing it. it was the first time the world was seeing it and it was just like so cute so pure pure is the right word Baron Zemo figure looked really great. And they had David Nakayama, an amazing artist on the stream, talking about the art that he does in conjunction with the Marvel Legends stuff. David does some amazing Marvel covers, but he showed off art for Vulcan, which is a new figure coming out, Vulcan being one of the Summers brothers. And then finally they revealed a Despair figure who is relatively kind of obscure Marvel villain, but one of the, like the coolest costumes, because it's just black and white and it's gnarly as hell.
1: Yeah. I want this Wolverine, the animated style figure. He's so beefy. He looks almost like the video game version of Wolverine, where he's like so compact and rounded shouldered. Like, I just imagine doing that little back and forth shuffle like all video games. So, I want them all.
0: Yeah, I know. So good. Lorraine, as we talked about earlier in the episode, this is our Halloween week episode and our spookiest. <laughs> we don't have the vocal range for that, but it is our spookiest episode of the year. We're going to do some really cool stuff. We are following our tradition from last year choosing three amazing stories and gonna read them for everybody and this year we have our pal and actor nick walker joining us
1: yes but before we read our scary stories ryan i was thinking that we should call up terrence Wandke, who was on the marvels to classified podcast with me he knows quite a lot about these kinds of comics so let's give him a ring on the twin phone what do you say
0: yes please
1: all right let's do it beep boop boop beep boop boop ring 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 terrence's phone ring 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 Twimline.
3: Hello, hello! What a surprise! It's so nice to hear from you.
1: Yeah, we just had some questions about some good old-fashioned spooky stories from Marvel's early days.
3: I love spooky stories from Marvel's early days.
0: Before we even get into the stories, though, you have a very cool job being a professor and professing all kinds of stuff. Where and what subject do you teach?
3: I teach at East West University, and I specialize in in literature and media. But when it comes to my scholarship, I write primarily on comics. I've written a book specifically on horror comics called The Comic Scare Returns. And more recently, I put out a book called Robert Kirkman Conversations, a collection of interviews with Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman, who's responsible for great series like Marvel Zombies and The Walking Dead. Cool.
1: So you have quite a breadth of knowledge And we're reading today from Marvel's Strange Tales. Could you briefly describe what Strange Tales is to somebody who might be unfamiliar with those old school comics?
3: Strange Tales was first published in 1951. This was a fantastic and interesting period in comics history, in part because it is where we see the growth of horror comics. In the post-war years, we started to see things change. The comics readership literally grew up. We saw genres become more diversified, while Superheroes were dominant. Superheroes were a little bit on the wane at the time, and we saw these other genres come in, into play. Most popular were crime and especially horror. We see that definitely in the beginning of 1951, and in some of the, the dominant publishers at that time were E.C., Harvey, and yes, Atlas Comics were the early Marvel comics. They came into to play here with things like Strange Tales.
0: You know, for us, we we're doing these really cool prose stories, and you know, we're we're looking at those. There's usually like one image in each of these stories, but to a lot of our modern readers and listeners, these kind of seem a little strange. Can you explain why so many issues of Strange Tales and some of our other comic magazines at the time feature prose stories, particularly why the the horror ones were so popular to do prose for?
3: Well, to begin with, the explanation for it is pretty simple. And I'm glad you referred to them as comics magazines because publishers at that time were including these prose stories because they wanted to get good postage rates, the the magazine postage rates. So that's why it was always included in there. But the interesting thing about it is that these prose stories often were really great. One thing that they did was they often picked up on the comic sensibilities. So we saw people writing in prose in visual ways, but also capturing the horror spirit of the time. One of the things that was notable about the horror comics at the time is that horror comics often could deal with these interesting taboo subjects and push the envelope a little bit further because there was nothing really holding them back. It was pre-comics code. So we have these, these stories that are not held back like they were in film at that time with the Hollywood production code.
0: Now, a lot of these stories don't have any credits. A lot of comic stories of the time were missing some credits. Do we know who wrote some or any of these pro stories?
3: Occasionally we do, but for the most part, we don't. It was Typical to publish these stories without any credits given to the writers for the prose stories or the writers and the illustrators for the comic stories. It was just the habit at the time, and it wouldn't be until the 1970s that we see these credits done very widely.
1: Well, you've given us so much wonderful context. Before we go, do you have an all-time favorite old-school Marvel horror story?
3: Oh, you know, in terms of the prose stories, you know, there, there's there's a couple that I really like to pick up on certain things that are characteristically horror. And the one that I, I like best is probably The Strange Man from Strange Tales number 28. The reason I, I like this so much is that it deals with something that was characteristic of the time. It was an amnesia story, and I think that ties together with a lot of the anxieties that people had in the the, the Cold War era. This fear of who I am and what might influence me. But I love this one because we wake up in this this terrifying scene. And basically, the person who's in the middle of it has to figure it out, the bloody dagger, the dead body, who am I in the midst of this and what does it mean for me? These are the types of stories that I loved from that time period because it sort of dealt with this burgeoning field of psychology. What made us who we are? And sometimes the answer is, well, whatever makes us who we are, if it's our instincts, it's our culture, it makes us into something pretty horrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very appropriate for this week and for Halloween. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Terrence. Have a great, great Halloween weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
3: Great. Happy Halloween to you.
1: If you want to hear more from Terrence and you want to learn more about some of these classic tales of horror, definitely check out The first episode of Marvel's Declassified. It's a podcast that I co-host with Evan Narciss going into Marvel's secret stories. You can listen to it on SiriusXM, on the SXM app, or on Marvel Podcast Unlimited on Apple Podcasts to hear more old comics reenactments, to hear more origins of horror comics in that first episode. It's a great episode. Definitely check it out and check out the whole series because if you love comics and you love Marvel characters, you will definitely love Marvel's Declassified.
0: Yeah, but we can't wait any longer. We need to bring Nick Walker into the show so we can read some awesome stories.
1: Let me see if I can make a connection. Ooh. ooh, ooh. Nick Walker. Spoopy Phone. Ring ring. Spoopy Phone. Ooh. Ah, ah, ah.
0: It's Nick Walker. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Ah. Oh my god, it's so good to be here. Yes. Out of the mysterious ether.
1: I've never actually experienced somebody magically appear to us via the podcast, but that's an exciting first for us.
4: I've never experienced being magically transported. So first for me too, let me say comfortable as all hell. Good. Hmm. We'll, would do it again. Would recommend. Nice. Not your first
0: time on the show, though. So thank no. you for coming back and, and joining us for our spookiest episode of the year.
4: Honored. Honored and privileged. You know, I know that James Eigelhart is, is on here a lot. And any time that I can just kind of take him off the shelf, uh, you know, and, and kind of put myself there. And then, James, I hope you're listening to this. Any time that I can do that to you or your career, or your opportunities, I will. Do it. Uh, This
1: is a vendetta, not friendship. But that's fine. It's It's Halloween, so that seems acceptable.
4: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So we've got three stories. As we've told our listeners, we have three amazing stories from the pages of Strange Tales. Some, gosh, what is that? 60, 70 years ago, Mm. these issues came out. These are all prose stories, and they're super fun. Nick, you have so graciously offered to read our first
4: story. What is it called? It's called The Strange Man. And I will say I'm a huge, so I'm a huge horror nut. And it's, it's a love that has developed over, over the pandemic, but, but certainly has been bubbling for like years and years and years. I've always kind of dipped my toe in. And you know, whether it's movies or, or reading horror books or whatever, this story has one of the best opening lines ever. It's one of those things that you hear and you're like, oh, we're in for some some real dark and scary stuff. So I'm very excited to read this one.
1: You know, we just spoke with Professor Terrence Wandke, and he said that this was also his favorite of the Marvel scary stories that are prose. So you're in very good company.
4: This is very exciting.
1: All right. Without any further ado, tell us a scary story.
4: You got it. The Strange Man, from Strange Tales, issue number 28. The two figures that lay on the floor were still. One would never move again. The other showed faint signs of life in the irregular, struggling breathing under which it labored. Then the breathing became more regular, and the man's eyelids slowly opened, only to shut quickly again as a sharp pain shot from his head down through his anguished body. "'My head, it hurts so, oh,' came the faint words of the man who was slowly regaining consciousness. He opened his eyes again and looked around at the strange, unfamiliar room. His gaze went to the ceiling, where a light fixture was slowly becoming less hazy. Then he saw the couch, the rug, so unmistakably covered with signs of struggle. His eyes lowered to the floor. They saw a shiny object tipped with red.' Then he discovered the object was in his own hand, gripped tightly. The thing was a knife, and the redness was blood. The man suddenly regained a mountain of strength, and he sprang up to his sitting position. It was only then that he saw the woman's figure beside him. She was not breathing at all, and the terrible wound in her back was ample proof that she would never breathe again. "'What has happened here?' he asked himself, standing up. "'This woman, dead.' "'A bloody knife in my hand. Could I possibly have... "'No. It's too unbelievable. Why should I kill a strange woman? "'Why should I want to kill anyone? What's happening to me? "'Why don't I know what this is all about?' "'He breathed heavily again, "'trying to realize that this fantastic thing was really happening to him "'and that he was not in the midst of a terrified nightmare. "'His hands were ringing with perspiration, "'and his head felt feverish and strangely unattached to his body. "'He checked the woman.' She was really dead, and had been but a short time. I've got to get out of here before I'm discovered, the man said to himself, quivering. I must have killed her. I don't know why, I don't remember ever having seen her, don't ever remember holding that knife in my hands, but here's the proof, she is dead, and I'm a murderer, me. Suddenly he stopped, stunned. He didn't know what his name was. He searched his pockets hastily, but disappointment hit him full force upon the discovery that he had no identification on his person. He would go home, look through the house for papers, then he'd know who he was. That was it. He began to walk from the unfamiliar room when again a thought struck him Home? He didn't know where his home was, or for that matter, whether he had a home at all. How will I find out who I am, where I live? he pondered. I'm a murderer. When people inquire of a man who goes around trying to discover who he is, what's caused him to forget, they'll find out. No, I must run away, away from the city, and try to find some other way. Otherwise, someone will recognize me and give me up to the police when they discover what I've done. So began the man's search for his identity. He had a considerable amount of money in his pockets, enough to get him on a train out of the city. As the train rumbled through the night, he stared out the window. He recognized nothing about the city as the train began its journey to other places. Stores, people, streets were all unfamiliar. But soon the city was behind him, and the one memory he had, that of his murder of the strange woman, drummed in his brain steadily. At the very last stop, he got off the train and fell exhausted on a bench in the railroad diner, ordered a cup of coffee and a sandwich. Then, feeling somewhat better, He left the diner and roamed through the darkened streets of the new town. There weren't many people about, so when a hand touched his shoulder familiarly, he whirled about in surprise and fear. A drunk man was speaking to him. Say there, guy, you's, uh, he's familiar to me. Didn't we meet one night? Fear sent the sober man's hand to a rock in the ground. The drunk continued unsuspectingly. But before he could stammer out another two words, the rock had crashed into his skull and the drunk was left on the ground, dead. Why did I do it? Why did I let him take me so completely by surprise that I killed him without thinking that he might give me my name? I'm a fool to have killed him. The man ran on, half crazed now. Killing seemed to come so easily, he thought to himself as he hurried along to nowhere many thoughts crossed his tortured mind in the next days there's no doubt in my mind that i killed that woman how many how many others have i killed how many more will i kill without even thinking about it i i picked up that rock and smashed another life just like that who am i a murderer a murderer without a name How long can I go on not knowing who I am, where I belong? Some way, somehow, I have got to find the answer. He kept running from city to city, small town to big metropolis, but staying far away from the town in which he had murdered the woman. If someone would only recognize him, he was far enough away from the authorities who would be interested in the first murder and would have a chance to keep on running. "'A drink!' he shouted. "'I must have a drink. "'I've got to get my mind away from this terrible problem for a while.' Perhaps tomorrow my mind will be clear. He ran into a bar on the corner, sitting alone in a booth. He had his drinks. He looked up surprised suddenly to see a woman staring at him. This was it. Someone recognized him. I will have to be careful, extremely careful this time. First, I'll become friendly. She'll come over to me and speak to me. Then we'll leave the bar, we'll walk around the streets, and she'll tell me who I am. Then... "'When we are alone, I'll get rid of her. "'I will know who I am at last,' he sneered. "'It worked just as he had thought it would. "'And when the street was quiet, he said, "'You thought I looked familiar, didn't you? Uh, "'I'm sure you wouldn't uh, remember my name.' "'As a matter of fact, I can't for the life of me recall your name,' "'she replied in all earnestness. "'You're lying,' he shouted. "'You know my name. "'You know what I am.' You suspected all along I would murder you, as I've done to others. As soon as you tell me my name, my name now, or you'll be dead in one minute. There was only silence from the frightened woman, followed by her stifled gasp as his hands went about her throat, then dropped her still figure to the ground. He had done it again. He had killed once more. How long could that go on? One way left. One way left. Only one way. "'to go back to where I murdered the first woman. "'Someone will surely recognize me, "'and although I'll probably be captured "'for that woman's murder, I'll know my name. "'It's driven me to madness. "'Killing comes too easily.' "'And so he went back to the first city, "'the city from which he had first run. "'Years had passed since that strange day "'on which he woke up in the middle "'of a nightmare situation. "'The town was strangely silent. "'Gloom hung about. "'Buildings were torn down, giving it a ghostly look.' "'Had it always been this way?' "'He heard many voices as he passed what seemed to be a town hall. "'He went in. Here is where he would be recognized. "'At least his search would be ended.' "'He milled through the crowds of people, bumping into them, "'hardly knowing where he was walking, just walking, hoping someone would say, "'This man, he is John Smith!' or whatever it was. "'But he was greeted only by the cold, unknowing stares. "'The people kept on talking, but no one recognized him. "'He couldn't stand the suspense.' His voice pierced the low murmurs of the crowd, and everyone turned about to see who was uttering these frightened words. You can't fool me, you idiots. You all know who I am, but you won't give me the satisfaction. You want me to confess first. Well, yes, I killed the woman who was found stabbed here years ago, and in my search for my name after I lost my memory, I killed others. The drunkard, the woman who refused to tell me my name, so many others. Well, now you can have me, but please, please tell me who I am, he sobbed out hysterically. The silence greeted him again. Then a voice, the voice of an old man whose face was burned horribly and whose voice cracked with emotion spoke. I know you. These people could not know you, Jeffrey Mason. After you so mysteriously left town, there was a terrible fire that destroyed lives and property. The few people who survived moved away to forget. Only I, as police captain, remained. These new people came to live here to rebuild this town. That's why we gathered here tonight to discuss further plans. They couldn't know you, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Mason, who so many years ago disappeared. You thought you killed your wife, but you didn't wait long enough for the police to come. We could have explained and saved you from your anguish. Saved you from the punishment you must now receive for committing those other murders you speak of. Your wife had gone mad and phoned the police to tell us she was going to knife you, kill you, for no reason at all, and that we should come and claim your body. Geoffrey. she tried to kill you, and you must have lost your memory from a blow on the head with the knife. In the struggle, you killed her, but only in self-defense. You would have been released. Instead, you ran away, only to return to your death. Now you will be punished for your other crimes, Jeffrey Mason. Take him away, men, he ordered his deputies. And as they dragged him away, he laughed hysterically. For now, after so many years, he had a name. And it would soon be engraved on a headstone so that no one would ever forget the name of Jeffrey Mason. The end.
0: So good. Oh,
1: that's so good. <sighs> it's giving me Twilight Zone.
4: Literally just about to say that. Very Twilight Zone.
0: Classic Jeffrey Mason, you guys.
4: Just <laughs> what a cat. <laughs> but like but I love that. I love that. Right. That's I think so much of what makes good horror is those mistakes that you can't take back. Right. You go you go mm. too far. The, the the disillusionment. I always thought that Magneto would actually be a great character in a horror movie not as the monster but as you know your 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 hero mm-hmm. just because of disillusionment right that the idea that you would push something so far and never check in and never take a breath mm-hmm. right the inability to take that breath is so often what gets us trapped in those situations in horror movies
1: yeah i love the moments in horror films and horror stories that you can't take something back anymore yep i just watched this film ghost stories which is a british uh, horror anthology last night And there's this moment where this kid is driving and he hits what looks like a goat man, like kind of a demon-esque creature. And he hits it and he's like, oh, no. And he stops and he looks and he sees what it is and he's like, got to get out of here. And it's like that point of no return where it's like I've killed something horrific. Is it a monster? Is there any going back? Can I fix it? Nope. This is our new normal. I just love it. (laughs)
0: That was an excellent way to start off our readings. I'm going to pick it up next with a story from Strange Tales number 14. So my story is called You Only Die Once! With an exclamation point. The little man in black stepped up to the big front door of the gloomy mansion and rang the bell. The sound pealed eerily through the air. For a moment, there seemed to be no answer. But the little man waited patiently. People were always at home when he called. Then the creaking door swung open and an elderly woman in white beckoned for him to enter. The little man walked in noiselessly, bowing his head politely to the woman. "'I've come to see Mr. Hesterstone,' he began with a soft, oddly-accented voice. "'He's expecting me, I believe.' "'That's him in there,' the woman said, jerking a finger over her shoulder toward the open library door.
4: "'He told me you
0: were coming.' She took a coat from the clothes tree near the front door. I'm sure I don't know what all this mystery is about, she snapped. I'm his nurse and the doctor says I'm to be with him all the time, but Mr. Astorstone gave me strict orders to leave the house as soon as you arrived, she sniffed. Odd carrying on for a sick old man, I say. This might be the death of him. She turned to the door and stopped as the visitor chuckled. Oh, I can promise you that whatever happens, it won't be the death of him, the little man said. The nurse turned and stared at him, then shrugged and left. The little man in black stared after her retreating figure for a moment, still chuckling. Then he closed the door quietly and walked swiftly into the darkened library of Mr. Hesterstone. In the far corner of the vast book-lined room, an old, old man was sitting huddled in a wheelchair. A floor lamp behind him illuminated the old man's hairless skull and threw shadows on the shawl that was wrapped around his wasted limbs. His half-blind eyes peered at the visitor until he was sure of the little man's identity. Then Mr. Hesterstone's toothless mouth opened as he spoke querulously. <clears throat> Finally got here, did you? About time. I'm an old man, liable to die at any moment. What didn't you hurry for? The little man chuckled again. (laughs) Don't worry, Mr. Hesterstone, nobody ever dies while he's waiting for me. Mr. Hesterstone raised a feeble, gnarled hand. Never mind that. You have it with you. His visitor nodded, patting his breast pocket of his black coat. I always have it with me, Mr. Hesterstone. But you, are you prepared to pay the price? What is the price? The old man quavered. Mr. Hesterstone, his visitor snapped. There is always one price. If you knew how to contact me, I'm sure you must have learned that. But but my entire fortune, everything? i worked so hard so many years just to give it to you. You can't take it with you, Mr. Hesterstone. You're an old man, you know. If you want to live forever. Yes, yes, the old man wheezed. That's it. I don't want to die, and I'm so old and sick. Pains all the time, all over. I can't walk or use my hands. Other people have to feed me, and I can't really eat anything. My eyesight and my hearing going. Yes, you can have everything I own. Let me live. Now that's better, Mr. Hesterstone. The little man took some legal papers from an inside pocket and spread them out before the old man. Just sign these papers, turn everything you possess over to me, and we can get down to extending your life. But... What will happen to me once I sign everything over to you? Where will I live? The little man mentioned impatiently, In an old age home, of course. Come, come, Mr. Hesterstone, are you going to sign? I have no choice, the old man whispered, and taking a fountain pen from the other's hand, he scrawled his signature. Replacing the papers in his pocket, the little man rubbed his hands briskly. Fine, fine, here's the little tablet you bought, Mr. Hesterstone. Merely swallow this, and you can forget about death. When ten times ten thousand years have passed, you will still be alive. The old man clutched eagerly at the pill and stuffed it into his mouth, gagging slightly. Then his jaws closed, and the white tablet was swallowed. "Is, Is that all? he whispered weakly. The little man nodded as he prepared to leave. Absolutely all you need have no more fears about dying. Thank you, and good night. He turned to leave, then stopped. Oh, one last thing. Sometimes a customer feels dissatisfied for one reason or another. If you should, I will return for one last visit to consider your case. You know how to get in touch with me, of course. He nodded once more, and was gone. As soon as his visitor had disappeared, old Mr. Hesterstone began to cackle happily to himself. Took all my money, did he? The fool, let him keep it. I'm going to live forever. I'll make it back in time and more. As soon as I get my health back, there'll be no stopping me. I can own the whole world, and I will. But a month later, he was not so sure. Some things had gone according to plan, of course. The day following the little man's visit, he had been removed from his mansion and carried to the old age home. The place was pleasant enough, but certainly not a place he'd want to stay in too long. The doctors, who had been expecting his death almost hourly were first surprised that he remained alive, then, shaking their heads, admitted they had no idea when he was going to die. The one thing that was wrong, however, was that Mr. Hesterstone didn't seem to be getting any healthier. He still had the same wrenching pains. His eyesight and hearing were as weak as they had ever been, and he still could not use his hands or legs. Finally, in desperation, he summoned the little man, using the secret method he had spent so much time and money learning. The little man in black walked up to Mr. Hesterstone one afternoon as the old man was sitting in his wheelchair in the front yard of the home. "'You called me, Mr. Hesterstone?' he said politely. "'Is there anything wrong?' "'Of course there's something wrong,' the old man snapped. "'You've cheated me. I'm as sick and as feeble as I ever was. You promised that you'd live forever,' the little man finished." And so you will, Mr. Hesterstone. But I didn't promise health or youthful strength or anything like that. Eternal life is what you paid for, and eternal life is what you are going to have. In a wheelchair, helpless and sick. The little man chuckled. Now, if you will excuse me, I must be off. I have another customer to visit. Mr. Hesterstone could have died with anger and mortification. But of course he didn't. He lived forever. In his wheelchair. The end.
1: A cautionary tale about contract law.
4: (laughs) Right there. Right there. Read your contracts, folks.
0: Seriously. Get a good lawyer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: It's so funny because we've all heard that story in so many different variations. But I just love the idea that it really is a natural order of things. You are born, you live, and you die. And to mess with that, there's always going to be some catch. There's always going to be something. Nothing Mm -hmm. is free. There's always a price.
1: Well done, Ryan. A beautiful reading. Give that woman seven seasons and a film, please. Please. Oh, she's all right,
4: dearie. (laughs) Uh, As soon as you said, I said, well, this is a character that we need to hear again and again. (laughs) Come back.
1: All right. This is Sorcerer's Justice from Strange Tales number 21. Mm. Old Ebenezer Grisham locked the door of his apartment and started down the stairs. He grinned as he saw a large gray cat, which had been sleeping on the staircase, leap to its feet at the sound of his approaching footsteps and race down rapidly. Ha! He chuckled to himself. Got you real scared of me, have I? Well, wait till I'm through with your owner. By the time he got to the ground floor of the apartment building that he owned, the cat was scratching furiously at the door in the rear of the long, dark hallway. Grisham laughed again and walked rapidly to the apartment. The cat tried to dodge past him and back into the hall, but Grisham caught it expertly with the toe of his shoe and kicked it screaming and writhing into the yard in the back of the house. Then he slammed the door that opened into the yard so that it wouldn't be able to get back in. The apartment door opened to reveal a tiny, shriveled old lady. Why do you insist on mauling little Lilith? She asked in a droning monotone. Somehow, Ebenezer got the impression that she was looking inside of him rather than at him. He shivered slightly when he noticed that, because of the gloom, her eyes seemed to have no iris. Fear flickered lightly at his heartstrings, and he tried to ignore it. "'I got this month's rent for your apartment,' he said in a very rough voice. "'The envelope you left under my door, Mrs. Rollerman, contains only $25. "'It should have been 75 "'But the legal rent ceiling for this apartment, sir. "'Don't talk to me of legal rent ceilings. "'You're going to leave an extra 50 in cash in the rent envelope each month "'or I'll make your life here so miserable "'that you'll be glad you picked up that mangy old pet of yours "'and got out of my building.' Then see if any other landlord wants to take a crazy old woman in. Mr. Grisham, sir, I lived in this apartment for over 65 years. She began again in the same deadly monotone. None of the previous owners of the building ever treated me this way, and I got along very well with all of them. None of them ever tried to force me to do anything illegal. And as far as I'm concerned, he broke in triumphantly Neither am I. You'd have to prove it in court first, and I can hire a first-class lawyer. Whereas I doubt that you could ever even a third-rate one. And besides, who believed the word of a crazy, cranky woman? A woman who had admitted to the public more than once that she was a witch. Who'd believe her against a respectable, well-known property owner like myself? No, Mrs. Rollerman. You either pay that extra $50 a month, or you go... I didn't buy this building for my health, you know. No, Mr. Grishamsham," she said softly. "You did not. Before she closed the door, she had a momentary glimpse of a living room filled with all kinds of junk, including such varied items as a huge copper kettle on a tiny gas range, and what looked like a collection of stuffed human heads. He shivered again as he made his way outside. Much more than the increase in rent, he wanted to drive her out of his building. He didn't like her and felt she gave this place a bad name. Steve, the janitor, was sweeping the sidewalk in front of the house. "'Good morning, Mr. Grisham,' he began respectfully, then hesitated. "'Oh, Mr. Grisham, uh, it's none of my business, "'but I'd be a lot more careful about insulting Mr. Relamund if I were you.' "'Well, you're not me,' Grisham told him sharply.' I know that, sir, but believe me, that woman is a real honest-to-goodness witch. Anyone that tries to interfere with her gets punished horribly. I've lived in this neighborhood for years, and I know she can do awful things to people she hates, and this morning she was out here asking me if I could find the garbage I'd taken down from your apartment. Why my garbage? Grisham asked, puzzled. Because before a witch can put a spell on you, she needs something you touched personally. Best of all are parts from your body, like hair or nails. But she could use scraps of food that touched your lips or things like that. Once she gets it, you're practically in her power. So I told her, I hadn't taken any garbage down from your apartment this morning, which, of course, was a lie. That's crazy nonsense, Grisham stormed, feeling the twitch of fear in his vitals again. I never want to hear anything like it, Steve. Now get downstairs and start cleaning the cellar. But when the man had walked away, shaking his head dolefully... Grisham walked over to the huge gray cans which were awaiting the sanitation department trucks. Swiftly, he searched among the soiled and unpleasant paper bags until he found the one that Steve had taken from his apartment that morning. He walked away with it very rapidly, and when he was a good distance from his own neighborhood, dropped it into public garbage cans. Not that I believe any of these crazy fairy tales, he muttered. "'Still, there's no sense in taking chances. "'If that woman ever could get me in her power,' he shivered, this time violently. "'When he came back from his office that evening, there was no one else in the stairs. "'He thought for a moment of going in and bothering Mrs. Rulliman again, "'and somehow the conversation with the janitor that morning had made him uncertain. "'He climbed the stairs to his apartment, cursing himself for being a superstitious coward.' Halfway up, he noticed a gray form rise and start running up ahead of him. He grinned. Lilith, Mrs. Rollman's cat, was trapped in the staircase above him, and he could work some of his feelings about the owner off on her pet. Surely even a witch's cat could do no harm. Grisham sped up to the stairs, chuckling to himself. He knew the roof door was locked, so that cat was trapped on the narrow staircase and would have to pass close to him if it were to come down. And then he would kick the daylights out of it, though. Lilith fooled him. She waited around the corner of the fifth landing, high up on the banisters. As he came up, she leapt at him with her claws outstretched and mouth wide as in a snarl of the purest feline hatred. He knocked her aside, and she made her escape down the stairs, meowing her pain at the blow. He started to open the door of his apartment and stopped as he felt something warm on his cheek. He put his hand up, and it came away red. Blood. So the animal had managed to scratch him after all. We'll wait till the next time he caught it. A strange, unearthly singing from below made him freeze. Mrs. Rollerman's voice. It sounded like, like, as if she were putting a spell on somebody. Of course, all she had had to do was scrape some of the skin and blood off of Lilith's claws, and she had the personal ingredients. She now had control of him, according to Steve. He tried not to believe it, but abruptly began to feel... He turned and ran down the stairs, screaming, Mrs. Rolliman! Mrs. Rollerman, wait! Please! He felt himself growing smaller and smaller. Lilith was waiting for him at the bottom step. But this time, she didn't run away. She bounded forward and grabbed at the mouse that Ebenezer Grisham had changed into. And it was a long, long time before she finally killed and ate him.
4: Oh.
0: Yeah, Lilith, get yours.
1: As it should be. If you kick a cat, you deserve to be turned into a mouse.
0: (sighs) Seriously. Oof.
1: I I love a little witchy revenge story. Just Mm -hmm. let sleeping witches lie, you know?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: On that note, Nick, where can we direct listeners to find more for you, uh, both online and on stage?
4: Yeah, so I'm at Nikki Walks on both Twitter and Instagram. That is N I K K Y W A L K S. And I'm currently, uh, I'm doing a, a show on the on the Broadway called Ain't Too Proud about the life and times of the Temptations. And if you want to see me do essentially a three-hour monologue and never leave the stage, come on through. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's an amazing show and I love it I love it dearly um and you know obviously the temptations music is incredible but the the cast is is really fantastic so come on through yeah we we are opening and taking customers
1: yeah broadway is open see a show uh nick it looks like your rides here
4: oh oh yeah let me check my app yep it's here all right y'all it's been a pleasure and a privilege and I will see you soon <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, uh, uh. where did he go uh, i guess he's more magical than we even imagined but we've got to keep this show rolling because next week we have creative director for marvel games tim sang and art director for marvel's guardians of the galaxy bruno gautier leblanc they are on the show to talk about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's going to be very fun. We get really cool in-depth and behind-the-scenes on a lot of stuff, especially the look of the game in many ways. So with that in mind, our question of the week for next week is, who is your favorite character in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy? And maybe you're like, oh, that's an easy one. But as many of you play through the game, you're going to experience a lot of really cool stuff, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of emotional beats. When I started the game, I probably would have said Rocket and he he is great, but I think Drax is my favorite character in the game and I was surprised by that. I love Drax, but there's so much meat on the bones for Drax's story and it's just so well done and so emotional and so rewarding and it's funny at times. Yeah, I think Drax stole it for me.
1: Yeah, I'm still earlier in the game than you are, but I do love Rocket. In the top of the game, especially because he just roasts you the whole time.
0: It doesn't stop. I'll tell you that.
1: I personally love to be roasted. It's why I married my husband. He made fun of me on our first date. And I was like, I love you. But anyways, enough about my psychology. You can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And please make sure to tell us if it is, quote unquote, okay to read on the show.
0: Let us know. I'm excited. We also had a question of the week from last week, which we got a lot of answers for. And our question was, what Marvel character would you want to cosplay as for Halloween if someone gave you the perfect costume? First answer was from an Anna at Why Panic Again, who said, Squirrel Girl, she deserves to be appreciated.
1: One thousand percent. I did say at one point that I'd like my costume to be fin fang foom, but I think Squirrel Girl would be awesome. I do feel like that's the character I was born to cosplay.
0: There's a purple shorts fin fang foom joke in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Hell yeah. And it got me so good. (laughs) It was great.
1: Next up, we have Gretchen Murphy at Gem Meg 10, who says, I'd be President Loki. In fact, I have everything for it. I just have to take care of the details and get my hair done. I would love to have a good regular Loki costume. That's next, though. Look at so industrious. You've already got a lock on it.
0: Elizabeth Roth at Elizabeth Roth says, ooh, definitely Hela or Valkyrie or Athena. And I hope hair and makeup are included in the quote unquote perfect costume pack. Elizabeth, yes, 1000%. Hair and makeup are all covered. So yeah, you could go really, really well with any of those. Really, those are great choices.
1: All excellent choices. Next up, Masquerade Fangirl at M Fangirl says, I'd have to put together my Amora the Enchantress cosplay myself. It's still very rough, but if someone gave me the perfect comic accurate Amora cosplay, it would make my entire year. Amora gives me so much confidence and I want to do her justice. Also a great costume. I love the sort of classic Amora costume. It's iconic.
0: Her pants are always something that with I... the like
1: Braided look to them. It's such a
0: great look. It's so good. Cody at Cody Baldwin says, Spiders man the multiverse Spider-Man made of thousands of spiders. (laughs) That costume would be a feat of technology. I'd wear it, assuming I didn't become a bunch of spiders." No, on second thought, I'm a team player. Turn me into spiders. (laughs) Cody. Okay. Yes. Cody is now all spiders.
1: First of all, A plus for commitment. Second of all, I feel like this is a very achievable costume. You just need to get like bags and bags of those like dollar store spider rings and then just attach it everywhere like a body stocking covered in spiders. That's how I would make that.
0: Body stocking covered in spiders is something.
1: That is my internet name. All right, moving on, Stumblin at Stumblin X said, I recently bought a bubble gun and it gave me the great idea to reverse engineer it into Star-Lord's gun, which led into me starting to create his costume. Oh, that's so fun. Also, don't change the bubble gun aspect. Just shoot bubbles at people. That would be so fun.
0: Pat Aquino at Pat Aquino one says, Electra Nachos for sure. I have never dressed up as her because I don't look like her and would have to make some changes, get a brunette wig, but she is my dream one. Well, that's what we're here for, Pat. That's your dream one. That's the perfect costume for you. It'll get done.
1: Yeah. Ashley Rosario Wajenko at Wajenko 12 says, I definitely want to cosplay as either Daisy Johnson slash Quake. I love my own Quake suit, or as my fellow Filipina-American... Ari Agbayani from U.S. of Cap Issue 4, which was the first time I've ever truly seen myself represented in media. Oh, that's so nice.
0: Heck yeah. She's got a great costume too. It's like that whole story in United States of Captain America 4 is is really good. Hopefully everybody checks it out. It'll be on Marvel Unlimited in a couple weeks. Ariel is is a neat addition to the Captain's America. Carlos at Carlos underscore Esconde says, Dr. Doom, full body armor. Elegant green robes, gorgeous, shiny, perfectly fit mask, need it. Holy moly. Carlos, I am with you a billion percent. I would love, and I would actually want the white Dr. Doom outfit from Secret Mm. Wars. He's just like, look at me.
1: Living my best life. Best life. We got an email here from Aiden Borchert, which says, Hi there, longtime listener, first time responding to questions. If I could have any perfect costume of a Marvel character, I'd go with Nightcrawler so I can prove once and for all that I could play my blue boy in the MCU one day. Alternatively, I walk on stilts as a hobby, and one of my dreams is to make a big Sentinel costume for local Comic-Cons, which would be awesome. Do that. Please do that. That's awesome.
0: Aiden, thank you for being a long-time listener. Thank you for chiming in. Also, if you can walk on stilts and you haven't done a stilt man costume (gasps) or lady stilt man costume. Lady
1: stilt man.
0: Just lady stilt man or stilt man. Do that costume. I need to see it. Please, please, please. Catherine constantly picks up my stilt man toy because it's on a shelf that is at her height. And she just like pulls his helmet off. She's like, broke it. It's not broken. (laughs) But she loves stilt man. We're big Stiltman fans here at This Week in Marvel, so love it.
1: A thousand percent. That has been the spookiest episode of this week. In Thunder
0: Marvel. sounds. Lightning.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our audio development manager is Brad Barton.
0: And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio.
1: And special thanks to our dark overlord, Mephisto. Want to make a bargain? Looking to make a deal? Reach out to our dark overlord, Mephisto. Just say his name three times, turn around three times, snap, put one foot in, put one foot out, shake it all about, and that's how you contact our dark lord, Mephisto.
0: Hell Mephisto.
1: I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your
0: universe. Thunder sound.